me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. The number one award-seeking comedy podcast about comedy. Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster, Mark Hershaw. Yes, ready or not, here I come. It's me, Mark Hershon, your host, your master of ceremonies, and the executive producer for Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast. This is Epi 84, featuring my interview with our special guest, Mr. Greg Fitzsimmons, stand-up comedian, writer, showrunner for television shows, and the host of Fitzdog Radio, both his live show on Sirius XM and his podcast, which refreshingly isn't just his satellite radio show dumped into the pod stream and re-aired, but fresh material just for the podcast listener. Here's a little taste of our chat coming up later this show. You know, there's two voices in your head. There's like the voice that's always telling the other voice not to do shit. I would just buy off that, that other voice. And I would be like the, I would pay off the super ego and just be the id. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, I think that'd be money well spent. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. There's a, there's a good life underneath here. I sat with Fitz after a recent show at the Punchline in San Francisco, and we chatted for about half an hour. You're going to hear the entire thing unedited coming up later this episode. But we have other business to attend to first. Out of the gate, I want to congratulate friends of Succotash, Dean Haglin and Phil Larness, podcast royalty, and the conjoined hosts of the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour for finally getting their shit together and jumping aboard the Stitcher on-demand radio team. That's right. After months of teasing and non-streaming, their weekly show is finally available on your I Stitcher I take a day app. off, and you fulfill one of my New Year's resolutions. Yeah, I know. Isn't that I funny? need to take days off more often. I, I would get so much <laughs> done. This is what teamwork's about, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. We are on Stitcher Radio. I had no idea that Stitcher was a thing till I did this other podcast called... Uh, <laughs> you had no idea. Even though that has been our New Year's resolution, <laughs> even though we've been talking about it, you had no idea it was a thing. I don't know, like, what your New Year's... Like, you could just say, hey, I think we should really be on, you know... Etsy or something. And I go, yeah, okay, that's a great <laughs> We've got the thing. Chill Back Hollywood store on Etsy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where we macrame our episodes. We macrame every episode. Lovingly with a glue gun. Your Chill Pack earrings, <laughs> handcrafted. Uh, you know, look, we, we love that uh, people listen to us on the Talk Superstation. Yes. We love that they listen to us on the iTunes. Yes. Uh, that they listen to us right there on Facebook. Yeah, right on, there's a player right on there. Uh, on, our, on our website. How do they do that on the website? Uh, and now we welcome those who find the show through... Their Stitcher app. Their Stitcher app, their Stitcher radio. So there you have it. Welcome Chill Pack to Stitcher, and may you enjoy many fruitful downloads. Which sounds vaguely sexual, I suppose, if t- taken out of context. So don't do that. Take it out of context, I mean. Do listen to Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Even with our interview with Greg Fitzsimmons this episode, we have crammed a bunch of clips into it. Uh, Three of them are are from former radio personalities uh, who were in terrestrial radio for a long time, but they're now enjoying the freedom of podcasting. Uh, One of them is actually still on the air, but he's also doing a podcast. The main difference, I think, between what they did and what they're doing now is that they're happy that they can say fuck and shit and all the other words they weren't allowed to utter on the airwaves. Other than that, there's not a whole lot of difference in their presentation styles. We've also got our Burst O'Durst with comedian Will Durst, a classic Henderson's Pants Spot, and our Tweet Sack segment, and more. Well, no. Actually, between that stuff, the clips, the Fitzsimmons interview, uh, that's about it. There isn't more, but... 
that's an awful lot. Oh, and of course there's... The 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast List. Provided exclusively by Succotash, the 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast List features those shows that have moved up or down the charts the most in the past week. So, let's have a look. At 26, Smodcast, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, is up 10 places. At 42, What About Pod has dropped 12 places. At 49, Robert Kelly's You Know What Dude has climbed five spots on the charts. At 55, Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend is down seven spots. At 77, Phone Losers of America has climbed 25 places uh, to actually get into the top 100, so congratulations. At 79, Voss and Bonnie's My Wife Hates Me is up seven places. At 82, Straight Outta Low Cash is up eight. At 92, the Black Astronauts podcast has climbed 58 spots to get back into the top 100. At 95, the Robin Joe Show has dropped six places. And at 97, the world of Phil Hendry is up 92 places, putting it up into the top 100 as well. And for the second week in a row, our friend Chris Lanuti and his crew in the Broadcast Basement podcast are right on the bubble, hanging in there at number 100 again. So way to go, guys. You're clinging in there. Uh, Keep trying to crawl your way up. Fantastic. It was a good week for Succotash on the Stitcher chart this time around again, as we climbed 2,209 places from 7,488 at our last show to 5,279 this past week. So way to go us. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And that's... The 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast list. But I'm not actually done with Stitcher's Top 100 yet. I've been feeling nostalgic for my days in terrestrial radio, so I thought I'd pull a few clips from some folks up in the Top 100 stratosphere of the comedy podcast list who are also radio guys. Now, I've spent a lot of time in Los Angeles over the years, including living down there three different times when I was either looking for writing work or doing writing work, and I would always listen to the Mark and Brian show, which was a morning radio staple for almost 25 years down there on 95.5 KLOS. It was Mark Thompson and Brian Phelps, and they started their show in September of 1987, which is about the same time that I started hanging out in L.A. They hung up their radio togs in August of 2012, which was a month shy or thereabouts of 25 years as a team in the L.A. area. Well, guess what? You can't keep a good radio guy or a good team of radio guys down. They're both now podcasting each with a different show and 3,000 miles apart as Mark left L.A. and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where he does a daily podcast with his wife, Linda, called appropriately the Mark and Linda Podcast. They do it live on the web, so that allows them to take and make phone calls as well as to keep things very current news-wise. They've also got a great listenership as evidenced by the fact that they've uh, tagged in at number 13 on this week's top 100 in Stitcher's top 100 uh, comedy podcast list. I clipped this out of Mark and Linda's St. Patrick's Day show, where Mark relates a story about Steve Martin that happened after he left KLOS on the very last day of the Mark and Brian show. By the way, when you were talking about Steve Martin, what if he came out with uh, balloons on his head today? Almost as ridiculous today. He just comes out with his banjo. He doesn't even do comedy anymore. Uh, it's true. Yes, it's true. He's writing books. He re- and some of those are moved into movies. But that guy has has squeezed out an unbelievable career. But you've got to know, 
1977, I remember where I was. When I put the needle on that album <laughs> of Let's Get Small, I'm telling you that we had never heard anything like that. It took the country by storm. And he could pack arenas. I saw him in an arena. Wow. As a comedian, Pat sold out, roaring to that guy. He was a god. Wow. And I met him. We all There was about 50 of us, and we went backstage to meet him, and there he is, and he's got on the white linen suit, and he's ready. He spent the entire time checking his watch. What time showtime? I got to be on time. What time showtime? He he wasn't very uh, amenable. He wasn't, yeah. not that he was ugly. He just wasn't, he was just on the watch. He was doing what he had to get done. Ah, he's a dick. It was, it was like when Linda comes down before the show and tries to talk to you as you're getting ready for the show. You're not ugly. You're just not very <laughs> Oh, he's open. ugly too. <laughs> Wait, I got to tell this story. We're in Santa Barbara. That's mine and Linda's favorite spot in the world to go uh, when we got some time off. Matter of fact, on the last morning of the Mark and Brian program, finished that up, went to the hotel for something with the kids. And then or, drove uh, out. We went to Santa Barbara. Anyway, so we had been told by the hotel there was a nice Italian restaurant. We go to this one over here, but we want to try something new. And he's go to this one over here. So he gives us the directions. So we go. And uh, we walk up to the uh, concierge or, or the uh, host. And we said, two for dinner. We have a reservation. And he goes, all right, would you like to sit next to Steve Martin? And of course, Mark went, yes. And I'm thinking, not really. So we go over and it's one of these restaurants where the tables are literally almost it's table for two and table for two. But you might as well be having dinner with them. So he walks us over and it's this little bitty table. And there's Steve Martin and whatever woman he's with. And And I sat down in the chair that's across from him. And as soon as I sat down and looked up, just looking up. He gave me a look that was so awful <laughs> that I turned to the host and I said, I want to sit somewhere else. Really? So, so the host, this is what's funny. So we get up and the host walks us back to the host stand and, and he looks at us and he goes, you want to sit next to Sigourney Reaver? Because <laughs> she was right there. And we did. And she didn't give us any looks whatsoever. He's just a dick. I mean, it wasn't my fault that they sat me there. Right. I didn't request that, that seat. I'm not stalking him. You can be fucking nice. Just because you're a big old star. Oh, look at me going off on Steve. Yeah, Martin. I'm sitting there going, I think the weather's got Linda in the mood or something. <laughs> no, I was, I was fine until you brought him up. You can listen to the Mark and Linda podcast at markandlinda.us. As well as, just like the majority of shows we clip her on Suckatash, iTunes, and Stitcher as well. Now, the Brian part of the Mark and Brian formula hasn't been quite so hot to jump back in front of the microphone. He's got his own podcast, The Brian and Jill Show, that he co-hosts with actress Jill Whelan, who some of you may remember is the daughter of Captain Steubing on The Love Boat. But his show only drops sporadically, about once a month, I think, when he feels like doing it. Hasn't really hurt his popularity, though. This past week, his uh, show came in at number 31 on Stitcher's comedy list. I pulled a clip off his latest outing, where he's relating a story from his mother and some trouble that she's been having with an old-time bingo partner. And I said, Mom, don't you worry. It's going to thaw pretty soon, and you'll be out playing bingo again. She goes, I'll I'll say, you'll be out playing bingo with the girls again. Yeah. And she kind of went, huh. Uh Uh-oh. What's happening? Now, you remember I told you a story about how uh, a while back I flew my mom and uh, a few of her bingo buddies to Vegas. Yes. All right. 
Well, one of them was named Joyce. And she was very great. She was, you know, in her 80s, I think, uh-huh. and still is. And uh, <laughs> used to, uh, you know, on a walker, but yeah, very, yeah. very fun, very, very, very sharp, uh, a very sharp woman, a widower, and had a couple of kids. Um, and, and so she, go, she goes, huh. I go, what's the matter? Oh, I don't know if I should say anything. I go, okay, now the corners of my mouth are starting to curl up because I know whatever's about to come out is going to crack me up. Yeah. Okay. Go, no, Mom, you can... You can say it. What what's going on? <laughs> well, Bri, I think Joyce is is trying to do the lesbianics. <laughs> the eighty year old? Yeah. <laughs> the eighty year old whatever. I, and I cracked up. I just la- because she was so serious yeah. and the way she said it, is trying to do the lesbianics. And I cracked up so and now she's hearing me laugh, and I could tell at first she might have been getting a little frustrated with me laughing at this because uh-huh. she's trying to talk seriously. Uh-huh. But throughout the conversation, she started laughing too oh, because every word that came out of her mouth, I am. Guff- I, bu- In fact, two hours later, when Franny got to my house to work, uh, I, I I I I called mom and said, "Mom, tell Franny about the lesbian story." So she had to repeat the whole thing, and she was cracking up too. But so. Anyway, so now Joy- Joyce is getting into lesbianics and I'm cracking up. And I go, Mom, Mom wh- why, why would you say, why, why, what gives you that idea? Well, there's been a few instances. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean, Mom? And she goes, well, you know how uh, when we go to uh, the, on the bingo bus trips, they stay in a resort in Indian uh-huh. Casino in, in Iowa. They drive over from Illinois, take a bus. Well, uh, uh, the three of us always, uh, they, we room together. We stay in the same room. And uh, uh, Joyce and the other woman sleeps in one bed and I sleep in the other. And, well, um, you know how girls are where we're – now, I'm listening. As her son, oh, listening. God. You know how us girls are when we walk around. We walk around our underwear when we get ready. <laughs> okay. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. Yeah. Well, uh, we're always wanting our, our robe or our underwear, but uh, Joyce came out of the bathroom one time. And she looked at me and said, Zelma, you look good. And I turned around and she's topless. Uh. <laughs> I go, well, mom, maybe she just, you know, hadn't put the bra on yet. Yeah. Or something. Well, there was another time. Like, oh, dear God. And, and this was the zinger. She goes, um, Joyce is over by the closet and she dropped something. On the closet floor. And she said, Zelma, come over here and help me find it. Because Joyce doesn't see too well. So I got hey, up and I and I and I bent over and I'm looking at the closet floor, and Joyce put her hand on my butt. What? Now what? I'm I'm guffawing. I am I, I am the the windows are shaking. How? Oh my god! The, to hear her say these words, uh, the windows are shaking from my, my the volume of my laughter. And I go, well, okay, mom. Well, well, what did you say? I said, Joyce, you have your hand on my butt. <laughs> She goes, that's exactly what I said in between laughter. She goes, oh, do I? <laughs> so, I, well, mom, I. <laughs> what did your mom say to that? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And she, but she, there was another instance where the girl, the other woman that, that they share beds yes, with yes. told mom, you know, that Joyce is uh, really hogs the bed. Like, I bet she does. Oh, my God. So um, I said, well, Mom, um, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, she was, well, I don't know if I should say something to her about it. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, Mom. There's nothing wrong with experimenting. You know, if, 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 oh, God. If, oh, God. 
if, if she's into that, but you don't have to be, you know, oh, I mean, cool. and, and I want you to feel, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. So just tell her. This is like a, the more you know ad. The kind of, yeah. I said, mom, just tell her, you know, uh, if she uh, ever tries any more lesbianics <laughs> on you, uh, j- just tell her that it's not for you. Shop elsewhere, yeah. as it were. And, uh, which is Franny's line. So, um, uh, so she goes, okay, if it happens again, I'll, I'll mention it to her. So. Oh, God. You can catch up with Brian Phelps and also download past episodes of The Brian and Jill Show at com, as well as the usual places to download and stream your favorite podcasts. Listeners to the well-known Bob and Tom show out of Indianapolis, which is also syndicated nationally, are no doubt familiar with the name Chick McGee, who has been a longtime member of their team. In 2012, he also started his own podcast called Off the Air with Chick McGee, where he lets his hair down a bit, swears, and generally has a good time with his own little team of cohorts and occasional guests. He also shows up frequently on Stitcher's Top 100 Comedy Podcasts. This week, he moved up one place to number 36. This clip features personal finance expert Peter the Planner talking about the most outrageous financial claims he's ever seen anyone try to get away with. What's the most outrageous financial claim you've seen that you're going you're fantastic. yelling at the tv going oh that can't happen i'm that's impossible oh, were you talking about a per did you think he was going to say a personal situation i've got i can give you one of each and yeah. they're both just fantastic okay <laughs> this is my secret vault right like right. i've got these in here uh so the, the, the stupidest claim is there's this uh radio commercial about a a, a secret biblical principle that uncovers the secret to wealth. And then you go and watch this hour-long infomercial, and this guy says you can you know how the stock market works based on what it says in a book written thousands of years ago. And right. that guy should should be actually killed. <laughs> <laughs> and then the best story ever, I had an attorney at a downtown law firm here. It was a partner. Guy uh, hired me to wean his 28-year-old Ivy League graduate son off the $50,000 a year family payroll. And he was like, Pete, this kid won't work. And I'm like, oh, cut him off. Like, yeah. you know, why, why would you? Stop paying him. <laughs> and the best part was the guy was using the 50 grand, the kid, to fund a hydroponic marijuana growing <gasps> operation out of the condo he was living in for free that was his parents. And, and make more money? Yeah. And so I felt like Johnny Depp in 21 Jump Street. Right. right. <laughs> Actually, Peter DeLuise, but I wanted to be Johnny Depp. You kind of look like Johnny Depp. I'm just saying. <laughs> Theater of the mind. That's right. Uh, so you know, I, I was like scared because I'm a pussy, like right. So I'm like, I find this out, and I'm just like, No, I don't think you're a pussy. I'm no. at the meetings, and I never see you. Pussy <laughs> meeting. No, I, I don't know what to do. like. You know, oh, I'm a narc. Like I don't know what to do, and I'm just like, Well, does he just tell? Does this kid just go? Yeah, this is what I'm doing. No, it's some Matlock shit. I was looking at his statements, and I see like his power stuff's really high. His water. Oh. Then because he gives me all the stuff. And then they see like a bunch of purchases. That is, from... That's that's uh, private detective stuff. I yeah. love this. And and you know I don't. I honestly don't care if people spend their money on that. I, I just don't care. And it's, so it was one of those things. that's like it didn't narc him out to his dad. I'm not, I'm not that guy. Right. Uh, I called the police. Yeah. No. I, <laughs> I, called... I dropped a dime on that bitch. Yeah. I said <laughs> I, I'm a snitch, chick. That's yeah, that's yeah. basically it's snitch the planner. I hear you. Um, so yeah, the, it's, I see I see everything, and it's weird, and it's. Uh, but I don't I don't make fun of anybody for it because we all have our demons, we all have our behavior issues, and sometimes it's money, sometimes it's food, whatever you mm-hmm. know. Money's probably more common than any of them. Deep I would down, assume so. Yeah, you know, yeah. We probably all. Have. You know, I do that still. Still, if I'm like bored or not doing anything or things are slow or I'm 
whatever. If given the choice, I'll go online and buy some. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, it's. I it's mean, a they're, process. And they're it. the UPS guys at my house. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it. I don't know how to, and I don't need anything else. You know, I really. Yeah, that's a weird thing, right? Scarcity. So if you've got a hundred shirts in your closet, you actually don't give a damn about any of them. That is, yeah. Yeah, but if you had... What is that all about? I don't know, but if you had 10, you'd be Mm -hmm. like... You'd take care of them. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, I love these shirts. You don't. And I I'm I have to clean out my shit every once in a while just to I totally have to clean out my closet. I do it every season. I, if have I didn't to. wear it the last season, then it's out. You'll go out of control if you don't, you'll spend oh. more. The off the air podcast can be found at its home site at chickmcgee.com, as well as all of those places where finer podcasts can be downloaded and or streamed. A couple of episodes ago we featured a clip from British comedian Richard Herring's Me One versus Me Two Snooker, or Snooker, as it's Uh, properly pronounced in England, apparently. Richard took me to task over that little bit of mispronunciation as uh, as he was thanking us for playing the clip from his show. Turns out that he has several podcasts uh, coming out of England, and based on a suggestion from Andy McAfee, I checked out Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theater podcast. Funny. Funny enough for me to have reviewed it for This Week in Comedy podcasts on Splitsider.com last week. Now for you, here's a taste from a recent episode with his guest, fellow English comedian Jenny Eclair. It's, I was going to talk about this, but you, there's loads of photos of you from the early days because you were doing stand-up in, in the alternative comedy in the 1980s. I invented it, love. You did invent it. <laughs> and so, but she looks very like you, very, very similar, which is, is, which is lovely. But uh, what, actually, there's quite a lot of people have died, haven't they, recently from yeah, those early yeah, days. Yeah. So it again, gives you an idea of the kind of passage of time. But you were there doing punk poetry... Uh, like in the 1980s in the Tunnel Club and places like that? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, there was such a dread... I had such a horrible time. I was about 22 when I started doing punk poetry because I was desperate to be an actress and nobody would take me seriously. Our feeders uh, ain't pet. Yeah, I don't beg to differ. Um, um, and, I, yeah, I used to do the really, really rough clubs and there was the Tunnel Club was particularly awful. And there was a flyover. You used to have to walk over this flyover. And the old man, I'd been with the same bloke for 30 years, over 30 years now. We spent Valentine's night installing a new dishwasher. Uh, that's nice. <laughs> that was nearly... The, the, honestly, that was the closest I think we've come to breaking up. <laughs> really, you know. And, um, and he was so out of puff <laughs> doing this dishwasher. I thought, how unattractive. <laughs> and he had to go and lie down on the sofa and I had to bring him a lime cordial. <laughs> <laughs> While he got his breath it's back. It's very nice that I got a new dishwasher recently and I got John Lewis to put it in for me. You could have Did done that. Did they do yeah. it for yeah. you? Yeah. You have to pay him, but it's going to do it for you. And we did it ourselves. It was miserable. It's too complicated. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, so, yes, Jeff used to give me a lift to this walkover and I used to look at the traffic below and think I could jump off this bridge <laughs> and put an end to this now. It was really, really scary. It was scary times. I mean, it was a much more variety. Chris Luby, who has recently died, yeah. was doing... Um, Machine gun, uh, yeah, machine gun, and air planes, yeah, and, and, and pa- so, bypasses, fly passes, fly passes, those sort of, yeah. yeah, those sort of things. So yeah. now Murray started. Yeah. he had he had a very strange act where <laughs> didn't he pretend to be a serial killer? Yeah. with a machine gun. Yeah, and then he put a body in the boot. Yes, I remember watching that, thinking this is quite dark. <laughs> <laughs> it was a relief when he did the pub landlord. <laughs> really was, God. So yeah, there was there was a hugely that people were, and I think that's come back, and that it's good. I think that there's a lot of different comedy around at the moment. 
And what's more healthy is that I think audiences are, have a lot more imagination. Maybe it's because they're open to, just they're more open to stuff. Yeah. There's more choice and there's more venues, so people who don't want to see mainstream comedy don't have to go and see it. You know, you just go, well, I'm not going there. Look at the kind of people that go there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wouldn't... And But back then, you were forced into doing those places because there weren't... Yeah. So someone like the Tunnel Club, when you came on, which was notoriously the very the hecklers were there ready to yeah. eat up everybody who yeah. came on stage. So a young woman comes on and starts doing punk poetry. Yeah. Did they did they enjoy that? Or well, did they I, give I, you a hard I, time? I do, used to go so loud and so fast and do so much swearing that they couldn't they couldn't get in. That yeah. was my sort of defence mechanism. So all this sort of you know the hardest woman in comedy was actually because I was a snivelling coward and didn't want them shouting at me. So I was just there going fuck this, fuck that. Yeah. Fuck everything, fuck, 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 fuck. Hey! hey. <laughs> Nothing's changed, really. Nothing's there, there was one that went, Oh dear, agony auntie, I have a discharge in my panties. It's not VD, I'm sure of that. I've never had trouble before with my twat. <laughs> I was 22, <laughs> nothing has changed. Oh dear. You can jump into the Leicester Square Theatre podcast, as well as Richard Herring's other listenables at richardherring.com. And that's uh, Herring, H-E-R-R-I-N-G. We got a recommendation to give a listen to a podcast called The Angry Chimp Show out of Australia. Our associate producer, Tyson Sainer, clipped us off a piece of a recent episode, but neither he nor I can find much out about who is the brains behind this new podcast. As I said, they seem to be out of Australia, and they do sketches and songs. Beyond that... It's a mystery. Hello, friends. Today I'm going to tantalize you with a real treat. It's a wee snippet from my 280 stanza award-winning poem, Ode to a Stupid Cat. The featured in my book, The Collected Works of Reginald Uptax Bracket, Certified Creative Genius. Now I know what you may be thinking. You may be thinking that poetry is dull, pancreas tearingly dull. You may prefer to watch your grandmother rearrange all her old marmalade jars than read a superbly sculpted verse from a master. Or pretend you are not a mindless bogan or teeny bopper for five minutes and get some culture into you. Ode to a stupid cat. No, Kitty, stop playing with that curtain cord. That is my curtain cord, Kitty. Mine. You have no purpose for it. It's my curtain cord. What do you hope to achieve, Kitty? You want to open the curtains and gaze out onto the world? A world that to you is a miasma of confusion? You know nothing of the world, Kitty. Perhaps I don't either. Kitty, please... Enough with the curtain cord already. What do you want? To shower light into this room? A room that is your universe? I love you, Kitty, but that is my curtain cord. It is not yours to touch. I can't let you get away with it, you furry-assed cunt. Why do you turn away from me, Kitty? I give you all there is of me, but not my curtain cord. Don't play with my curtain cord, Kitty. There is pain and evil out there. I don't want you to see.
Do you remember the first time you ever saw a kumquat? I do. Remember when I first saw one, I mean, not you. Of course I don't watch you looking at kumquats. <coughs> the angry chimp Trap the Angry Chimp at its home site, theangrychimp.libsyn.com, and let us know if you find out more about them. And if you're part of the Angry Chimp experience, you can let us know too, because uh, it can only help you to give us and your listeners a little bit more of a clue about who you are. We have our chat with Greg Fitzsimmons coming up soon, a couple more clips, and the tweet sack left to go first. Right now, let's hear from our sponsor. Well, friends, spring has sprung, which means it's time for you to jump into style. And what style has Henderson's Pants got in store for you? How about a snappy pair of spring breakers? The trousers that just don't know when to quit. Literally. They're just the thing for those college students, be they he-men or co-eds, that are itching to spread their wings and their legs for an exciting furlough from dusty books and an even dustier sense of responsibility. Designed with fun in mind, Henderson Spring Breakers are casual enough to wear to the beach in Miami or dressy enough to sit down to dinner in Paris. The fabric is ultra stain resistant, keeping liquor, blood, or even vomit from dashing your hopes at making a great impression. Even if the only people you're out to impress are those presiding at your arraignment hearing in Tijuana. What's more, Spring Breakers are unisex, which means you can wear them no matter who you might be having sex with. Men, women, assorted barnyard animals, even power tools. These pants don't care who or what you end up hooking up with, or where for that matter. Originally designed for Fat Tuesday, Bacchus, the Roman party god, and the Red Hour. Henderson Spring Breakers are available wherever young people like to get face down in their own spew. That's Henderson's, makers of fine ass gaskets and crotch covers since 1903. And now back to Suckatan. Thank you, Bill Haywatt. Speaking of Bill Haywatt, um, well, first of all, we mentioned the Strange Times podcast before, hosted by Davy and Dent of the Bitter Sound podcast, Kat Sorens from the Rigid Fist, and their newest co host, Jerry Tawat. But recently, our own Bill Haywatt, who you just heard, was a guest on their show. They had some technical difficulties, namely Davy and Dent's audio part of the interview failed to represent. But here's a couple of minutes of Bill with a few side comments from the other guys. I came late uh, to the podcast world. I have listened to a few of yours, and I've listened to a little bit of Succotash. 
but I haven't really listened. That's one of the things, one of the reasons that Mark Hershon hired me is because I know nothing about podcasts and I know nothing about humor. And that makes that makes me ideal because it's like nothing else. I, 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 I am a quark. They don't know. I, I don't know what I'm talking about, which is one of the reasons he hired me. <laughs> oh, how did we meet? Well, we met a very, very long time ago. He was uh, a, an assistant. He was a much younger man. He was an assistant at a radio station that I was assistant booth announcer at. And, and he used to try to make me laugh because I was reading the news and I would talk about bad things. And he would go into the booth right next to me and he would drop his pants and he would do a thing called pressed ham, where you stick your buttocks <laughs> up against the side of the glass. And, and so he would try to make me laugh. And as a professional, I never laugh unless the script says laugh. And so I didn't laugh, but that's how we met. And, you know, years later when they gentrified the station and they laid me off and I tend to get laid off, well, Mark remembered me and he took it upon himself to hire me years later. And he never forgot old Bill Hayward and how he would try to make me laugh. And I'd say, oh, Smudgy, thank you for calling me. And that's what we call him. <laughs> yes, yes, Smudgy. <laughs> Well, you know, that's how we met. He, I was working, and he was sort of the guy who would run in with things from traffic. And, and, you know, like, oh, there's a big accident on the Dumbarton Bridge, so you must be careful about the third lane. You know, he would bring me information like that, and I would read it in my newscasts. And he was an assistant, a go-for. He would bring me water at the time like that, you know. All right. Bill, what's the most famous um, voiceover stuff you've done? Well, you know, I haven't really done much in that. I, I really like to sort of be the unknown. I, I, my forte is being sort of the stunt announcer. You know, they get the guy who says, coming up next, we have, you know, coming up next, it's going to be blah, blah, blah. And so then I am the same <laughs> person saying, brought to you by your friends at Throat Coat Tea or something like that. So I'm... I think, you know, just when I worked at KHIH in Honolulu, that was wonderful. And when I worked at KNSH, KNISH in Kansas, you know, I mean, it's, I don't think it's really about how long the career is or how, how but, but how, I don't think how, how big you make it, but how, how thick it is. And, and my experience has been very <laughs> thick and very long in that I have worked many places for a very short period of time, spreading my message of joy and cheer all over the United States. As like Johnny Cash would say, I've been everywhere, man. You know, I used to work at WKKK in Montgomery, Alabama, and I've worked at the beautiful backward station, K KCUF, the Boss 690. I've, I've worked in a lot of great places, you know, that's... Okay. Yes. I cherish my anonymity. Uh, no surprise that Bill sounds pretty into his cups there. We have got to get him back in front of the wet bar at Studio P for another Boozin' with Bill segment. It is just not fair that he is now gallivanting around podcast land and not giving us his home show the time of day. 
The home site, by the way, for that show is thestrangetimeshow.com, so check them out. Let's reach now into the haunted recesses of the tweet sack and see what's waiting to bite my hand off. We got a tweet from the Comical Podcast saying, at Succotash Show, you can use clips from our show, comicalpodcast.com. Well, thanks, guys. I put Tyson on the case, and you will be clipped in no time at all. Friend of Succotash Eric Furness let us know that his podcast, called From Out of Nowhere, is finally back with new episodes featuring music and laughs. So check out the Fooncast, won't you? At Sky All Violet wanted to know if we'd send our free Succotash magnetic button out uh, even overseas. The answer is a conditional yes, only because it takes some time because I am lazy and I have to take any buttons going overseas to the post office to uh, make sure they get out properly. Um, if you're in the continental U.S. Uh, or Canada or one of the uh, protectorates, I can <laughs> send you your button just by putting some stamps on an envelope. But uh, if it's going overseas, I have to go to the post office. and I'm a little bit lazy, but I will get it done. So uh, if you send me your name, your stamp mail address, and a request for a free Succotash button to button at SuccotashShow.com, we will get those out to you sometime soon-ish. Andy McH, at Manny, at Andy McH, that is, uh, tweeted to let me know that I screwed up on the Film Fandango clip last week. I mistakenly thought Rachel Ward was a co-host on that show, even though there was no trace of her on the clip. Uh, that was from some notes I had, but it turns out that it's Danielle Ward, who, <laughs> as, it, as it turns out, has left the show. I assume it's not because of me, however, getting her name wrong, but she is uh, no, no longer with Film Fandango. Uh, we got a couple of audio entries into the tweet sack this week. First from the Succotash hotline. Here's a message from Matt, co-host of the Matt and Corey Talk Too Much podcast. Hey guys, this is Matt. I do a podcast called Matt and Corey Talk Too Much with my best friend Corey and my wife Crystal. Uh, we just started, but I think we're uh, getting a good stride going. So you can find us on iTunes if you look for where Matt and Corey Talk Too Much or go to Spreaker.com slash Matt and Corey uh, you can find us there, too, and I hope you uh, enjoy. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to call in and uh, put that information out there. So thanks, guys. All right. Bye. So that's the Matt and Corey Talk Too Much uh, podcast. We'll try and get a clip from those guys soon, uh, which reminds me, if you're a comedy podcaster and want to give yourself a shout-out that we can play on Succotash, just call into our toll-full Succotash hotline and leave a message. The number is 1-800-921-7212. Now, if you missed that, hit the 15-second rewind button on your device, or if you're extra lazy, Bill Haywatt will repeat it at the end of the show. We also got word in from Adam Barker of the Oddcast podcast in England that he's changed the name of the show and incorporated his other It's Not Soccer podcast into the proceedings. He's prepared a whole audio update for the Pod Gods Network that he's part of, and he shared it with us. Hi everyone, it's your friendly neighborhood podcast voiceover lady, Rita Ramnani here. I'm here to tell you about some changes that have occurred regarding a couple of podcasts on the Barker podcast collection. Well, you may have noticed the Oddcast Podcast UK has changed its name. That's right, it will no longer be a mouthful to say, thank goodness, nor will it be the 500,000th show of that name on the internet. Instead, the show has taken on the name, wait for it, The Not Listening Podcast. Pretty simple. To coincide with the popular blog of the same name, the podcast has now become simply hashtag not listening. 
This doesn't actually affect the way you listen to the show, as it's still on the same feed and can still be found at barkerpodcast.webs.com. Also, the other show, It's Not Soccer, has integrated itself into the Not Listening podcast, meaning the same format will now be moved over to this show. Are you still with me? It's not that difficult, I swear. All this means is that if you want to keep listening to Adam and Billy, and I mean if, on It's Not Soccer, you will have to subscribe and follow the Not Listening podcast. Show formats are staying the same, it's simply a new name. Much like Opal Fruits becoming Starburst, or Marathon Bars becoming Snickers. So there you go, a few changes to your favourite podcasts. Right, I'm off now, enjoy the rest of your day. Seriously, does Adam really think a name change would improve this awful fucking show? Anyone? So now you can listen to Not Listening with Adam Barker, who also happens to be a new daddy. Congratulations, Adam, on uh, on having a child. That's fantastic. Now here's a list of the folks who have tweeted, retweeted, favorited, followed, or otherwise helped us to pass the succotash on Twitter this past week. At Tyson Saner, hey, even if he is on our mythological payroll, Tyson still gets cred for helping to spread the word. Uh, Fake Ann Curry, Amish Baby Machine, Strange Time Show, Juliet Lewis, Chris Lanuti, The Pod Mafia, Salty Language Podcast, Comical Podcast, Internet Podcast DB, Fund Anything, The Bitter Sound, Tiger's Blood Theater, Lang Parker, Screams and Moans, Conrad and Jack Show, Sahid Ali, Victor Liaya. Are these people real? Jab's D-Head Factor. I know he's real. Sean Merrick. I know he's real, too. The Wrong Foot Podcast. Yes, they are also real. As is Ed Wallach, Thomas Jackson Jr., my old pal Rick Schrader, uh, Illusionoid, Andrew McGivern, Honchos, Paragon Collective, Podcoin, Bella Dozes, Good Podcasts, Schwarzenegger Fans, Brad Grader, and Mark Nussbaum. Thanks to all those Succotashians, by the way, who've been using the Amazon banner ad at the top of the SuccotashShow.com home site to do your shopping at Amazon. They give us a little taste off of whatever you end up buying over there, and it's been adding up nicely lately, so I wanted to make sure to thank you for that. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can visit SuccotashShow.com and click on the Donate button on the upper right-hand side of the page and pass along whatever amount you'd like. I will thank you on the show, and I won't even mention the amount unless you want me to. All right, it's time to jump back uh, with me a little over a week ago when I got to go into the green room at the Punchline in San Francisco and talk with Greg Fitzsimmons, host of Fitzdog Radio Podcast, as well as his own show once a week on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Here's our interview. Anyway, Greg Fitzsimmons, welcome back to San Francisco. Thank you very much. I understand this is uh, one of your favorite rooms to play. At least that's what you've professed on I the air. I think it is. It, it might be my favorite room to play. I shouldn't say that. It's among that's, my favorite. That's okay. That's yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, uh, my my history with this room goes back to its very beginning. Right. Uh, I used to help book this room back in the days when Fox Productions booked it, and right. was here when they first opened. As this was originally the dressing room for the old Waldorf Music Club next door. Okay. And Bill Graham said, you know what, we should turn this into a comedy club. What year was that? 1979. They opened in 1980. And uh, Bobby Slayton was the first house MC working five bucks a night every week. Wow. <laughs> For the first, like, eight months the club was open. Oh, he was the MC here. Yeah. So that was wild. Anyway, uh, it's great. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, you know, I've, I've featured um, Fitzdog Radio on our show. 
oh, quite a number nice. of times. Awesome. Uh, I've reviewed you a few times for uh, Splitsider.com. Splitsider, right? That's in, a nice. In the uh, This Week in Comedy podcast column. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and uh, although I've caught your set from time to time in LA because I've spent a lot of time down there, this is the first time I, for a long time that I've seen a whole headliner set of right. yours. Uh, and it's really interesting to watch what you do on stage and how well it transfers to what you do in your podcast. Uh, one of the things I think comes with the, the experience of stand-up, uh, and you are kind of exhibited to a, a great degree, is you're comfortable with the silence. And I'm not saying not getting laughs, I'm saying you let a joke play out, it gets the laugh, and you're not in a rush to fill in that gap. You kind of I'm trying to think of the next joke. But it doesn't look like No, that. I know. No, you I know actually I mean? Bob Newhart was always my uh, hero. I always loved the way he could just, you know, just let it sit there and I realized there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of, you know, let some stress up. Yeah. Build up and then you can use it. So um no, thank you for saying that. It's and it's funny because um, I started in Boston, which was rowdy. Sure. And the other comics would yell louder and louder, and then the crowd would get louder and louder. Mm. And then somebody gave me some advice. They go, if the crowd is getting loud, take your microphone and move it further from your mouth. And then they'll all start to lean, lean in, in and tell each sure. other to shut up. And it's really effective with mm. crazy crowds. So what year did you start doing stand-up? I mean, I've heard you interviewed before, but I'm... Well, 89, first... I did it, I had done it a couple times, but I really started in 89 when I was a senior in college. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So we're about, I'm about 10 years ahead of you in the comedy ecosystem. Right. Because I was a booker, I ran the Comedy Underground in uh, Seattle for oh, a really? few years. And the headliners that were playing there when I was running the club, we had Jerry Seinfeld, Paul Reiser, Harry Anderson. Damn. People like that. And they hadn't hit yet. They weren't doing a podcast back then. That's right. They were doing, I know, right? But they're, you know, 2500 bucks a week. Right. Just kind of getting started and stuff. Right, right. Um, so it's great hearing you and kind of the, the group that you've been part of, which kind of came along 10 years after that, right? All the, the, the people that you've often had on the show and whatnot. Um, I'm curious for you, when you started doing your podcast, was there any sort of connection that you could relate to starting out in comedy because it's a new medium you know you're starting out in a new medium trying a new thing was there any kind of parallel or was it just kind of for you just sort of moving your skill set to that different medium well actually I think it was from being on the road and doing so much radio you know being interviewed on local stations you know you go out to St. Louis and you might do four or five interviews in two mornings and so and my father was in radio and so I think I actually was coming at it more from a, a, a broadcast angle than a stand-up angle. Mm. And I think that... I think material definitely... Concepts might come up on the podcast that I'll turn into stand-up. And stand-up bits I might throw into a podcast. If there's like a point where it's like a joke fits yeah. in, I might use it. But I think it developed out of... Um, you know, being exposed to so many good radio mm. shows on the road all those years. And obviously from my dad... And then I used to do, uh, I still do Howard Stern, but I used to do it a lot. Yeah. And so I learned from, you know, one of the masters. Sure. And so um, podcasting, uh, I, I think star, I started more with the radio voice intonation, but now I think it's more conversational uh -huh. than it used to be. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of my goal is to just keep trying to be as, as that's normal how it comes as across. possible. Um, but I think some of that radio um, sort of uh, steeping, if you will, comes across in the fact that you don't seem to be thrown or impressed or... Uh, there's very little that seems to uh, 
affect you in the way you have your conversation, regardless of the level of your guest. Right. You know, you've interviewed some fairly heavyweight people on your show, and you've interviewed, you know, comics that are peers of yours, and maybe people that are, you know, kind of, you know, have done less time than you on stage, and yet you come across the same to them. Same uh, shitty guy. No, no, no. You know, <laughs> and I'm comparing it to like Mark Marin, who, yeah. you know, great guy, kind of, you know, jump started podcasting right. for a lot of people, right? But it's interesting because I've noticed his pattern over the, you know, the years he's been doing it now, that if he has somebody on that's older than he is, he's very respectful yeah. and tends to laugh a lot. Right. If he has someone on who's kind of a peer, mm -hmm. there's just a real conversation that happens. And then if he yeah. has someone on who's younger than he is, particularly someone who's maybe, you know, had some fire in his yeah. career, he's almost a little bit, I'm going to say, um, uh, not offensive, but there's... Challenges. Some, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this sliding scale of right. kind of that quality. Well, I think that's a very, that's a good observation. I think that Mark's podcast is different um, in the sense that it's very much, it's a cult of personality. You're really listening to... An interview through Mark, as opposed to mm. you know what? That's a good point. Yeah, he's not just unearthing information. He's he you you're you're watching you're listening to his relationship to the person. It's kind of like reading an interview where the the reporter kind of puts themselves into the interview. Right. You know, there's a lot of that stuff that happens sort of in the last ten years or so. Right. Where right. for some reason the reporter feels you have to know what they're doing there. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think with mine, I just try to keep people. I don't want them to be comfortable. I want them to feel safe, mm -hmm. but I don't want them to feel like they can just start rambling or or they can just go into like some talking points. I can tell when people are saying things they've said a million times before, and yeah. I just don't. I have zero tolerance from anybody for just mailing it in. It's just not yeah. good. And I so I just know when it's boring. It's like the same way when you talk to somebody at a party, you fucking turn around and walk away if they're boring. <laughs> right. And so if I start to feel that way during an interview, I just. I'll throw them a curveball. I'll say something about yeah. them and just push them and get them off balance, and then they tend to go back to, you yeah. know, being themselves a little more. Um, what um, what is it in you that's able to really churn out the product? Because I know you're busy. I know you've got you know various TV gigs you're doing. You're on the road doing comedy, uh, yet you're very regular at turning out your your episodes. A lot of a lot of podcasters listen to my show, uh, so for them. What's kind of the key for you to maintain that regularity? Because that's really the key to getting your podcast listened to regularly. Is people go, I know he's going to be on twice a week. Right. right. No, it really does make a difference. When um, I did one a week for probably a year and a half or so, because but I'm lucky. I, I have this Stern, the the Stern Channel gave me sure. a show like six years ago. So basically, it's an hour long show, and I get these guy, I get Ray Romano coming in, and it'd be over like that. Yeah. And then my producer goes, uh, well, why do you do a podcast after? We'll do another hour. And so that's done. One a week is done because I, I have to do the radio show. It's, yeah. you know, it's my job. Yeah. So one's done. And then the other one, I'm on the road half the time, or I don't know. I'm, I don't know how many weeks I'm on the road, probably at least every other weekend. And so if I'm on the road, I'll do one. Um, like I was going to interview Mary Patterson today, but we didn't get to it. But that, I'll do that, or um, I'll do some interviews during the week. I'll bank mm -hmm. some. Like I've got three or four I've done already, and so I'll just like um, you know, this publicist that'll come to me that'll have guests, and then I'll uh, I'll do like an hour with them, and then usually before it airs, maybe I'll do like a five minute intro to it. So I think the key is to like um, don't paint yourself into a corner where it's like all of a sudden you're panicked and it's a homework. Yeah. 
uh, you know, it, it, booking guests is the worst part. And so I'm almost jealous of like Bill Burr or Proops. Yeah. Where they too. just, it's just yeah. that. Yeah, because my, my, this show is mostly when I'm not, when I don't have interviews, it's clips of other people's comedy podcasts. People go, what a simple format. I go, right. no, you have no idea what it's like to listen to fucking dozens of shows right. and go, okay, I'm going to play these eight clips this week. Right. Right. Uh, so so you that, just mark them as you go, as you listen? Uh, I do. I actually have a really loyal listener who's become my associate producer, a guy who lives in Seattle, who does, I mean, he just stays at home. He works from home, and he just clips me shows. He'll send huh. me three, four, even a half a dozen episodes. That's great. Uh, so that's been really helpful, which yeah. is great. So. Well, that's what's great is I found a lot of support with my podcast. I've had a lot of producers come and go because, you know, they... They end up getting a job writing on a TV show, or yeah. they get hired full time somewhere, or they move to New York. But I've had an amazing, lucky streak of getting talented people that will work for very little because they like the medium. Yeah. And so um, I think that that's probably some other advice to podcasters: is find a community of people that are excited about it also, and yeah. use and exploit them. <laughs> Let me ask you, uh, kind of switching gears about uh, the television business, because um, I've written for game shows and I've written t made for TV movies for the Hallmark Channel and shit like that. Um, and you've been doing it for a while now. What's your perception of how the TV industry is changing given the, uh, the popularity of stuff being done for the Internet, which, of course, pays less, uh, has a weirder sort of turnaround schedule and things like that? How is that affecting... A, what you do, and B, sort of the television industry at large, is, uh, from your perception? I think the TV industry's got their head in the sand about it. They don't really... I mean, I think that Netflix uh, and Amazon have definitely been more successful than they imagined it would be, but they don't get it. They still don't get that there shouldn't be a development season and a pilot season and, a, and shows that go on for two episodes and get yanked after spending millions of dollars... You know, there, there's, you know, cable, which is having more and more patience of putting, like, a Pete Holmes show up or something and trying to get behind it and see how it does. But the Internet is like, um, you know, you just hope that it stays pure and that they don't figure it out. I mean, I hope the, no, the networks keep ignoring it because <laughs> yeah. they'll come in and they'll find a way to buy up all the bandwidth and control the speed of downloading on different channels and favor others and you know that's all going to happen yeah. and so now it's like the wild west let's enjoy it while it's while there's freedom but it, it, it won't last they'll fuck it up sure sure uh and that kind of brings me to something i was listening to to Marin's uh, brief interview um just yesterday with adam carolla about the whole um patent troll thing right uh, so what's uh, I can imagine what your take is on it, but just to sort of inform my listeners a little bit more. In fact, I was going to use sort of a chunk of that clip to to kind of help my listeners get involved in the fight. But what, what's your uh, your sort of approach on the thing? Well, it's um, you know it's really up to Adam. We're all we're all sort of um, you know attaching our cards to to his horse and seeing seeing how he does on this case. And we're gonna do we're doing a big fundraiser. I got Corolla coming on my show, I think, uh, on the thirtieth. And so we'll do each other's and talk about it. Yeah. And um, you know, it's the timing is good because it's getting some notice nationally. There's a bill that's out that hopefully will become what law. Obama's spoken about it. I think the people mm. it, it's a it's a good pro business um, stance to be against these uh, these trolls. Yeah. They're really just bad for business. They're bad for the economy. Oh sure. And um you know, I think that my hope would be that 
fans like Rogans mm-hmm. and Hardwicks who are very tech savvy. Yeah. And and who might be a little bit uh, in the in the netherworlds of the internet can help us deal with these people on many levels. Yeah. I'll just put that at okay, disguised. Yeah, okay. If you're out there, <laughs> yeah. Whatever it, your skill set is. Yeah, you got some extra time on your hands. Look into some of these companies and <laughs> yeah. see how you can uh, not be supportive to them. <laughs> I understand. I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah. I see what you're saying without saying it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because legally, they've got they've there's these fucking scumbags that have this you know, like most power, it's all built on, uh, you know, something that was inserted into a bill that nobody yeah. knew about. or, And so, you know, they have to be crushed. And as an Irishman, I want to find them and beat the fucking shit out of them. You know, and I, I hate that it has to go through courts. I hate that it's costing anybody money. Absolutely. And, yeah. and it's just, they're pieces of shit. That's yeah. how I feel about it. That's what I'm looking for. Um, let me ask you again. Your dad was in radio. Uh, is there an excitement in you for podcasting sort of as a, as a technology and a medium? Because to me, I mean, I, I was in radio as well. I've written for TV. I've written movies. So there's all these sort of different media that have come, come down the pike. And now, you know, podcasts have been around for roughly 10 years. To me, it's a very sort of exciting time in that there's all these people doing very different shit as shows go now. There's the interview show. There's the comic like a Bill Burr who's just sort of monologuing. There's things like, you know, um, Welcome to Night Vale, which is just a weird fucking show. Why is that in the comedy listings, by the way? I, I, you know, why is um, uh, Car Talk in the comedy listings? Yeah. And, and on Stitcher, it's every week the third one up on the top 100 it's like and their old show the show went out of production five years ago no yes and they're just cutting up all the old episodes is is it comedy I don't even know what it is I don't I don't know it's very safe for people who don't know what we're talking about and I'm not I don't look at the at the iTunes list I looked at it today but I maybe look every once a week or every two weeks I'll look at you know where my episodes are landing yeah. up there. because ultimately it doesn't matter I, I know how many downloads I get, and that's what affects me getting advertising. Right. And being on iTunes is good because people see it, and I think that'll cause more people to Download. listen. Sure. But there's this weird algorithm with them where you it has to You can't tell do... what your listenership yeah. is. And yeah. so I try not to look at it because it's one of those things that'll just make you go like, what the fuck? Um, but this show, Night Vale or whatever Welcome it is... Welcome to Night Vale, yeah. ...is like, in the top 100 episodes, it's like a third of them. And it's I tried to listen to it once for 10 minutes, and it was like a weird... Child story. Well, it's a guy, it's a radio announcer who's working in this strange town. I, I equate it as sort of H.P. Lovecraft meets NPR. Right. Um, and I think it just defies categorization. There's nothing for it. There's no sort of, sort of weird literature section right. for podcasts, so they just got to put it in comedy. Right. You know. Um, but, but to get back to the question, do you find excitement in the medium in that people can do these different weird experimental things and it's you know like you said it's kind of the wild west at the moment right well i don't listen to podcasts so i i can't really you know i just don't have any time i have two kids and i'm busy doing my own shit and you know once in a while i'll listen to not even like very rarely do i listen to other podcasts i think it's great that comedians are doing them because i think it's it is like you said it's kind of a logical extension of it and, you know, you hear some people like, like Dave Attell was always like, oh, another guy's got a podcast. It's like, yeah, right. 
is another person that's expressing themselves. It's the same <laughs> as like, right. yeah, another person's trying stand up. That's right. Yeah, another person's writing a book. Right. It's just sound life works. Yeah. Dave. <laughs> and he's one of my best friends, but he annoys the shit out of me when he talks about it because I think that it's like, you know, the more people do it, the more awareness there is, and all boats rise with the tide. Every time somebody like, you know, Dana Gould does a podcast, yeah. and he's got fans from, from different arenas, and they right. they figure out how to podcast because they want to hear him, and then all of a sudden they notice other people that are, it's good for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's interesting because I've, I've, I've no, I have a general algorithm now that if I hear a comedian do uh, nine I think it's eight or nine guest shots on other people's podcasts. Invariably, their podcast is just about to come out. Right. So you'll hear people like like Tom Wilson. Yeah. You know, started a podcast on uh, the Nerdist Network, and he guessed it on a bunch of shows. You know, the guy who played Biff on Back to the Future. Right. And so he's got a podcast now. Right. Uh, just kind of funny. Um, well, it's like with stand-up. You know, there's people that you see that get into it that have a voice and they have a vision for what the show's going to be, and they have a. Um, you know, that they're a, a, a fit for filling an hour of content. You know, some people, I just, they're more joke writers. And, I, you know, you can, like David Tell, he's a perfectionist. And, like, yeah. his stuff is written. He could never do a podcast because he just can't put that much out without feeling like it's awesome. Oh, I see, yeah. You know, so it's got to fit the person's level of, uh, like, I have no problem putting shit out constantly. Just garbage. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, it's it's like a it's like a weekly strip show. You know, you're putting them out, and sometimes you're going to hit some gold. Right. Most of the time, you're going to be okay. Sometimes right. it's not going to be that great. But it's really not judged. What I found is episode to episode. You know, that the people that like when I look at how many people listen to my podcast, it's pretty consistent. You know, if I get a really big name, it goes up. But there's a real baseline that's really close and those are people that just listen every show right and so I, I I have to give myself a break sometimes when I'm getting too hung up on oh I don't have a great guest or I don't have a something great to talk about and you realize like well th it's it, you just keep there's a relationship with the listener and they they really are counting on you and it's a nice position to be in to think that all these people are waiting to hear it so you just got to go you got to have that mindset when you're making it that it's okay yeah um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, yours is one of uh, a very few that I actually subscribe to because I have to listen to a lot of fucking podcasts. Right. But um, oh, that's nice. To I hear. hike. I hike every morning, so I listen. To, I oh. usually get two two podcasts a morning done, and then I listen in the car. And stuff. I haven't listened to wow. my radio in the car in years. I right. just listen through my iPhone and Bluetooth and listen to podcasts. So uh, it is it is interesting to. Um, listen to somebody on a regular basis because there is a consistency uh, in a show like yours and a show like Bill Burr's where you go, you know, some some weeks Bill Burr's got nothing specific to talk about, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Right, right, right. You know, because you're listening to that personality, you're listening to what he has to say. And to me, who, you know, I started out in radio because I used to listen to personality radio in the yeah. early 70s when I was like junior high school. And where is uh, that in the Bay Area? Here in San Francisco, yeah. I've, I started working at KSFO here in San Francisco. Um, and I used to listen to these disc jockeys, people like Jim Lang, who just passed away. You know, the guy who, who was the host of the original dating game. Okay. He was the morning guy on this station I ended up working for right. eventually. Um, and you would listen to those guys day in and day out. And some days it wasn't very interesting. 
but you they became your friends right and it's like when you got a buddy at work and he's got some lame story about what happened on the weekend you go well i'll listen to this story because usually he entertains me yeah well i think it's almost like you know like with a friend if my friend is doing something i'm interested in it you know i'm interested in his take on it you know if he's if my friend is going through a divorce or he just came back from a trip or whatever, like, I'm, all right, what's going on? He doesn't have to make me laugh constantly or whatever. I just know that it's like a, it's something that you believe in and there's something that you feel and you feel connected to. And I think the difference is, though, with, like, standard talk radio is it's kind of on in the background. To a large degree. As opposed to, like, you're hiking, you've got that shit plugged into your ears. Yeah. And you're listening to every second of it intensely. Yeah. So it is a a little bit more... um, uh, I don't know. It's concentrated, but you don't want to make it feel concentrated. Like, you know, I like to always have a plan, and I have a producer who writes a script for me. Yeah. And in a great podcast, I don't look at the scripts, but in a bad one, it's there you because got it to go to, yeah. because I feel like with radio, you could you got four hours, you can't have a script. You just got <laughs> you have to be filling time yeah. a lot of it. And podcasts, you can't you can't really fill time. I try not to just fill it. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it is a different animal. And that's one of the things I've been talking about um, in it being a different medium is that a lot of people try to say it's, well, it's radio on the Internet. But it really isn't radio on the no. Internet. It's, it's just, that's what we call it. It's like, the you know, when TV first came out, they said, well, it's radio with pictures. Well, no, it's not that, you know. Right. And podcasting is not radio on the Internet. Um, as much as people that are doing radio try to slice it up and put it on podcasts. Well, you don't listen with anybody else. That's true. It's a very personal experience. Yeah, it's a, it's a collection of thousands and thousands of people listening individually. And so it's kind of cool when they do come to a stand-up show, and so many of them are podcast listeners. And so they're together, and I think they're experiencing you doing a different type of entertainment, and they're, they're experiencing it with other people. Yeah. So that's like a really nice... I think it's a great combo. You know, being on the road and, and putting out podcasts is a really good combo. Um, what do you say the, the average percentage of podcast listeners in your comedy audience uh, per night is? If you had to just spitball. Probably half. I'd say probably, you know, I do, I've, I've crawled my way to the middle in many different parts of show business. <laughs> so it's funny, on any given night, there's people like, I was just on Corolla this week and on Rogan this week. So I've had a lot of people come in saying they listen to me oh, on that. Okay. I have a lot of women say they see me on Chelsea lately. And then some people have seen my Comedy Central special. And they're so stern fans. Less of those than there used to be. Hmm. Um, they're getting older, I think. <laughs> yeah. But um, so it's like, you know, you got to throw a lot of different shit out there to get people to come to a club. Yeah. And with podcasting, I've seen, it in, I've seen the ratio increase of more and more of the crowd being my podcast. And so it's really a dream to think that eventually you can just book a club and do nothing except your own podcast and fill the place yeah you know yeah um this is a question that uh, one one of the guys has been on my show a number of times and i write with him is uh, dana carvey right and he likes to ask the question he says if you had a hundred million dollars what would you do with your life mm. so let me ask you that a hundred million dollars a hundred million dollars what would you do with your life well i would um I'm I'm all about security, so I would take care of a lot of shit first. You know, fund fund all the stuff, fund everybody that I love stuff, make everybody who I wouldn't just give money to people. I would like if there's people that I knew who've been fighting 
for a dream, yeah. the, then you maybe try to help make it happen. And then, um, and then I think I would probably just do, just do stand-up. I think I would get out of TV entirely. I have no interest in television. Hmm. You know, when I write on shows, it's, it's not that much fun. It's yeah. long hours. It's somebody else's vision. And uh, going on TV doesn't really mean very much. I just, I just love stand-up. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'd probably do the podcast. I'd pretty much be doing what I'm doing, I think. I would just not work clubs I don't want to work. Yeah. Which I don't work many of, but there's probably a there's probably ten percent of the gigs I do I'd rather not do. So yeah. I'd cut those out. And uh fuck. I don't know. Obviously charity. Yeah. Do some charity work. You gotta say that. <laughs> sure. Sure. I would definitely leave my wife. I would definitely <laughs> I would do Coke. I wouldn't get addicted to Coke. But I feel like with, with the with the means to go to rehab and things like that. You could just change your blood out. You just change your blood out and you know, for every six months I go on a tear, I go to six months of rehab, which is really like a resort anyway. That's right. That's right. Cheat on my wife, buy her nice shit. <laughs> You know, like with the money, you can actually behave any way you want without fundamentally changing your life in any way. It's a better version of your life. <laughs> it's one of the better answers I think ever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think um, probably probably fight more because I never punch people in the face anymore. Because you realize you get sued. Sure. You go to jail. I can pay off. I can buy lawyers. I can get out of anything. Yeah. Drive drunk. You ever drive drunk? Uh, no. It's fucking great. <laughs> It's so much fun. It's like a video game. And you just feel like, you just really feel like you're in a sports car. And I, uh, yeah, and then you get into a fight while you're driving. I, I just feel like that, you know, there's two voices in your head. There's like the voice that's always telling the other voice not to do shit. I would just buy off that, that other voice. And I would be like the, I would pay off the super ego and just be the id. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, I think that'd be money well spent. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. There's a there's a good life underneath here that's not being lived. I talked about it on stage a little bit tonight. Yeah. That there's a, I'm a phony. I'm not me. I'm not being me. With that money, I could really be me. Okay. All right. I'll see if I can scrape that cash together. For hundred you. million? Did you say? Hundred million. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I think you should make it ten million because a hundred million is hard to really wrap your head around. That's true. I think there should be some. You should have to rein it in a tiny bit. And 10 million, you really could go through if you fucked up enough. That's true. But this is you and I talking. You know, the question was originally posed by Dana Carvey, so the, the, scales, right. the scales are different. I wonder what he's worth. I bet Dana Carvey's worth 25, 30. I think it's probably a safe bet. I don't know. But that sounds he's about still right. doing pretty, uh, pretty hefty corporate gigs even right. at this stage. Right. Um, and Wayne's World, they do two or three? Uh, they did two. But I know he made bank on that second one. Yes. And I'm sure the residuals on it are still good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, residuals are a funny thing, man. I mean, I just, uh, I still get residuals for writing these Hallmark movies. It's right. insane, just yeah. crazy. He gets, he gets residuals for movies he wasn't even in. How's that? He did some voiceover work for movies, oh. they, and then they didn't use his voice. Right. And he still gets these residuals every year. Ghost money. Yeah. 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 That's a nice life. That's a nice Yeah, residuals. Life. I did one episode of CSI seven years ago, and I still get, like... Because some residuals, it's like you get 49 cents yeah. with a 49-cent stamp. and uh, <laughs> But CSI, I still get, like, good checks. 
out of nowhere. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I'll open up a check and I go, I, what? I wrote this movie 12 years ago. Nice. And now it's playing in Romania and I'm right. getting like great money. It's right. Like, okay, I'll do that. I know. Um, before we go, just any um, uh, recommendations or tips you might have for uh, for podcasters that, that maybe don't have the kind of, you know, sort of built-in, uh, I'm going to say both um, audience and talent that you bring to this to the package because you know how to talk into a microphone you know how to get an audience reaction but there's a lot of people out there that are trying this medium that they're you know they're sitting in their den in you know somewhere in Ohio and they think they've got some funny thoughts or they want to talk about movies or something like this any sort of advice for them I know it's a different sort of reality than yours well I think it's probably like stand-up but easier than stand-up in the sense that like if you literally just talk about what you want to talk about and avoid judging yourself and avoid thinking about who your audience is, don't think like a network and say, what's my demographic? Mm. What's going to make people listen? What's going to... Um, I think that's a real trap. I think that the stuff that people end up getting interested in, like Wayne's World is like the story of this. It's like, here's these two guys that do exactly what they want to do and put it on TV and it blows up. That's kind of what podcasting is. And it's like... People, it's so specific that, you know, I think that you look at Doug Loves Movies. I mean, he's mm-hmm. playing these games that who would have, nobody could have planned out that that would have been something that got this much traction. Yeah. And so I think it's really just about figure out what, what excites you that, that you want to talk about every week and then do it in a way that you're, you would do it with a couple friends. You know, just keep it really fun and, uh, and, don't worry during it like you started by saying very nicely about pauses and silence that if you really listen to good radio guys you know they they take huge pauses you there people aren't going to turn it off just yeah. fucking collect your thoughts you know relax and 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 you'll get better and better at it every time you do one that's great well greg thanks very much for talking to me uh, it's a it. pleasure i hope we didn't we weren't rushed but, uh, no, we're good. 30 right. minutes. That's, good. that's perfect. That's a solid podcast. Absolutely. And thanks for coming down to the club. Oh, absolutely. It. Thanks for uh, for getting me in. And uh... Well, and thanks for Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, what I know. Here? What's going on? I'll here? cut this part out. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again to Greg for the time spent, especially as it was during the time he should have been resting between shows on a busy Saturday night. We got into talking about the patent troll thing with Adam Carolla, uh, you may have noticed in there, and other prominent podcasters who've been getting these nasty cease and desist letters from lawyers claiming to represent the guy who invented the technology behind podcasting. Naturally, if those clowns come after Succotash, we're going to fold like a cheap paper napkin and you will never hear from us again. If you'd like to help with Corolla's defense fund, jump up on the SuccotashShow.com website and click on the Stamp Out Podcast Trolls link on the right-hand side of the page. This week's Burst of Durst features political comedian Will Durst talking about President Obama's visit with Zach Galifianakis on his Between Two Ferns web show on Funny or Die. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words and President Obama plugging the Affordable Care Act on Zach Galifianakis' internet comedy show. Not late night, not basic cable, an internet show. Looks like the chief executive is working his way down the marketing food chain. Won't be long before he's wearing a giant syringe costume twirling a sign on Pennsylvania Avenue. But he held his own with the hangover comic's trademark condescending snark. 
like to see him start speaking to Putin with the same sort of forceful tenacity. This was comedy Obama at his finest. Only one of the many guises we've seen the favorite son of Kenya master. At times, it seems like the country is suffering from a case of multiple presidential personality disorder. He's President Sybil, playing more roles than the fat kid at a summer Shakespeare camp. He's a jock, a nerd, probably even a band geek, teacher's pet, and the bad boy riding a motorcycle. A community organizer, a constitutional law professor, party standard bearer, goodwill ambassador, white-hatted hero, melodramatic villain, ramrod, contortionist, healer, divider, therapist. He's half black, he's half white, defender of transparency, master spy, a puppet, a poet, a pawn, and a king, outlaw, sheriff, figurehead, hood ornament. Even the GOP can't decide if he's a hopeless novice or a demagoguing dictator. Right-wing conservatives paint him as a radical jihadist, while left-wing progressives whine that he's a cowering conciliator, making him a little bit Malcolm X and a little bit Urkel. Let's face it, Barack Obama is either the classiest of cats or Captain Clueless. Or what the hell, maybe he's all of them. Fifty Shades of Cool. First Suckatash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst. Catch some written Durst any old time at willdurst.com. He also tweets at Will Durst on Twitter. And he'll be appearing at an event that I'm hosting this week at Alfred's Steakhouse in San Francisco. If you're in the Bay Area this week, that's on Thursday, March 27th. And it's a fundraiser by the producers of the Three Still Standing documentary so that they can afford to finish that film. You can glean more information for that show at 3, that's the number 3, stillstanding.com. Listen, thanks for sticking around. That's it for Succotash Epi 84. Only 15 more shows before our big episode 100 season 1 closer. I guess maybe I better start planning that. Hey, if we haven't uh, played a clip from your favorite podcast yet, why not drop me a line at marc at succotashshow.com or call into our Succotash hotline to let me know. Thanks as always to our associate producer... Thanks again to our associate producer, Tyson Sainer, as well as our engineer producer, Joe Polino, our booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, and our booth assistant, Kenny Durgis. And thanks uh, to all of you for listening. Now get out there and pass the Succotash. You've been listening to Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, and on SoundCloud. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Succotash Show. Email us at ma at SuccotashShow.com or call into the Suckatash hotline at our non-toll-free call number 818-921-7212 Suckatash is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Sainer. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotage. Goodbye.